and now I can hear the I can hear it. echo again. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go crazy if I can't figure out who. Well, you guys can't you can't all mute yourself. Okay. <laughs> all right, Blake's back off a of mute. I feel like anybody uh, is Blake moving. I think yeah. I, I think it's Blake. Is it? I, I do oh, have my frozen. speaker on. My headphones won't work. <laughs> <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Whether it's 2 or 12 years old, an age statement on a bottle seems to be an attractor to most. But as we start diving more into our own bourbon journey, we start realizing that age is just a number. I've had some really great bourbons at 4 years old, and some really great at 14 as well. But with all that being said, at what point should you proudly display that age statement on your own bottle? And in this roundtable, we dive into this topic, and we look at the history of age statements, and when we started paying attention to them ourselves. There's also brands that have a lot of success without an age statement, like Maker's Mark and pretty much everything in the Buffalo Trace portfolio. And now that the modern bourbon consumer has been accustomed to seeing age statements, would you pass on a bottle just because it said four years old on it? Well, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Brett, who writes me on fredminnick.com. Has Buffalo Trace Distillery reached a point to the bourbon people where it's cool to hate them? I see people that enjoy their products being called taters all the time on social media. Ding, ding, ding. That's me included. And to me, it comes off as nothing more than being petty over what bourbon someone likes. You know, let's be very... It's, by the way, great question, Brett. And we actually just recorded an episode that dived into this a little bit. And I would say, I would add that Buffalo Trace, they are the New York Yankees. They are the Dallas Cowboys. They are the pinnacle of greatness in American whiskey from a quality perspective, not necessarily volume or the amount of money they're making because Jack Daniels makes a whole lot more money than Buffalo Trace. So if you want to, if you want to take a look at who has created the most coveted limited edition line in the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, who has the most sought after brand for the last, I don't know, 25 years in Pappy Van Winkle, and has created this following for what used to be a mainstay everyday bourbon and flipped it into a $200 secondary proposition in Blanton's, well, that's Buffalo Trace. Nobody has created FOMO or um, a status symbol better than Buffalo Trace. And so when you have that, just like people call out the Dallas Cowboys, just like they hate on the New York Yankees, they, there is plenty of hate out there on Buffalo Trace. Now, in terms of, and, and you're right, it, it can come off as petty, but I don't, I think, I think if we take a step back here, it's just a good old, like, um, you know, poking at a friend or someone you don't know and just teasing a little bit. If someone is being aggressive and talking about their profile pic and their appearance or their children or their wife or their husband, you know, that's a step too far. But calling someone tater, that's just that's just having a little fun with it. 
and you know we're we're in a world where we get called a whole lot worse. Call me Tater all day long. It's not going to hurt me. But I understand everybody's you know everybody's different. But it can come off as a little bit kind of prickish, kind of mean. But I think most of the time it's all in good fun. Nobody really does hate anyone out there based on the bourbon that they're drinking. I don't think anyway. And again, they could, in which case that is quite petty. But great question, uh, Brett, and I hope that helps you understand why Buffalo Trace can be seen as hated often on uh, social media. If you'd like to be like Brett, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button, send me your question, and if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Hey everybody, it is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of Bourbon, but more importantly, this is Bourbon Community Roundtable number ninety nine zero. Everybody, hey oh, hey, and Super Bowl week. It's getting close, and it's Super Bowl week. Is it yeah. Super Bowl week, or is it like we just get to watch Taylor Swift a little bit more on TV? Kind of. No, I'll that'd... be there in person, so you know I'll be hanging out. Oh, you will hanging with Taylor. Tired of, tired of Taylor Swift hijacking NFL. NFL was perfectly fine before that, so. Oh, don't you be one of those naysayers. They now. just they just uh, released that they had a like a nine ten percent bump of uh, female viewers 
to uh, NFL games. So I'm I don't know. It's not more till they break up. I know. I was kind of surprised by that too, actually. And then, <laughs> but, then it's a song, right? If when oh, they break it's up, it's a whole album for this one. It, it, it might be. But Fred, why don't you give a plug for what you're doing in Vegas? Yeah. So I've got. I've now doing an annual uh, Super Bowl party, or excuse me, big game party called Big Game Bourbon. And we have the foundation room in Mandalay Bay where you can see the whole strip. And we bring, you know, a bunch of celebrities come, football players. I'll have Charles Woodson on the stage with me. Rick Harrison will be on the stage with me. Graham McTavish and a few other people. But we, like, we got like the RSVP list and just like a bunch of A-list football players coming in celebrities. And so we were raising money for the charity Forgotten Not Gone, which is a fundraiser or which is a, a, a charity group that raises, that helps veterans, you know, who are struggling with suicide. So that's uh, something very near and dear to my heart. And then I'll be there all week. I've just got, I've got three red carpets I'm doing. I'm doing the Madden Bowl red carpet the NFL culinary kickoff and the Maxim party. I got invited to the Maxim party. Whoa. The, Look at you. Uh, tailgate right before, right before the game with the NFL players. And then I'm actually going to the Super Bowl. So stoked. Awesome. The only one well, killing it in this panel here. I was about to say, don't forget about us. If you need some C list or maybe D list oh, level podcast people to join you the next time, I think you got five more volunteers down here. Listen, it's going to be in New Orleans next year, and I'd love for everyone to be there. Maybe we could even do the roundtable there. Ooh. But it's it's like I'm already planning next year. Like this is, I don't know what it is, man, but there's there's just something special about doing something around the Super Bowl. It's just it's incredible. I, I've never really thought. I mean, I just know the Super Bowl just how big it is. I've never even like even fathomed touching doing anything with it, just because it's like well. Bud Light owns all that sponsorship, so I'm not even going to try even mess. Oh, with it is. But. It's everywhere. I mean, and the thing is, it takes over the entire town, and there's so many events, and there's so many events. You know, and the thing is, like, everyone here will, will appreciate this, like, the amount of work that goes into getting allocated bourbon at an event like this. It's, like, it's incredible. It's, it's a lot of work. And fortunately, I've got a great team, and it's been... And, and the distributors in Vegas have actually been really, really, really helpful for us. So oh, I'm sure fact, getting a bunch of allocated bourbon in Vegas was pretty easy anyway. Oh, no. We got a bottle of Pappy, and I swear to God, it was uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career. I'm sure there's plenty of smoke <laughs> wagon there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No issues there. That helped out him being there. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, let's uh, let's quickly go around and give a quick round of introduction. So, of course, I'm Kenny. That's here. You just heard Fred, and then Ryan's here as well. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> Glad to see you, buddy. Yeah. All right, and then let's start off from our bottom left of the screen here. So, Blake, go ahead and give yourself a little bit of intro. I think we do. We lose him. I think you turned Blake, his you volume there. too far down. Okay. <laughs> uh, on to Brian. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's gone. So, Brian with Bourbon Justice and Sipping Corn. Happy to be on number 90. 90 episodes in and Blake still has problems. <laughs> he may have made them all, but he's he's been comic relief on everyone. Yep. I don't know how this always happens. We sent him microphones. We sent him cables. 
We even sent him a tech repair person to <laughs> fix it down to Florida, and he's it's still not working. Oh, you can't make oh, this man. stuff up. I can't. All right, Eric, go ahead. All right. Yeah, I'm Eric from Breaking Bourbon, uh, currently tech problem free. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Let's hope we all remain that way. Oh, all right. Here, he's joining back in again. Let's see how well this is going to work. Back. Can you hear me? <laughs> we can't. We can't. Just go. Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. Good to be back here tonight on the 90th roundtable. So uh, thanks for having me and can't wait to dive into these topics. Good. We're going to edit all that out. All right, let's go ahead and let's get into this. So we only have really one topic tonight, and it's funny. Well, actually, we're not going to edit that out, but this is only because actually Blake kind of had a little bit of a tie to this. So I had we actually interviewed Sean from Pinhook. It was a couple months ago, and he actually posed a question to us, and he actually talked to Blake about it. And I said, you know what? I don't know if I can say that answer. I said, I'm going to save this one for a roundtable. And the question was, and it kind of posed to me, because as producers, as consumers, what is the right time to put an age statement on a label? Now, we all know legally that anything under four years has to adorn an age statement. And this can come in a bunch of different forms. We've seen it over the years. Some people will be like, you know, aged in new oak for 36 months or whatever it is to kind of make it sound like it's not three years old. Even back in the days, if you look at a lot of those beam decanters, a lot of those said 48 months, I think like 60 months, like they were a little bit all over the place. But those were the back in the days that, yeah, you had age statements on something that was, you know, four years, six years and stuff like that, too. So one of the things that kind of sparked this is is looking at not only from a producer side, but as well as a consumer side. And I think for the the nature of this particular conversation, we should probably focus more on the consumer side to figure out in our head, what is something that that we look towards? You know, is there something that, you know, does it have to have an age statement? If it is going to have an age statement, at what point does it matter? Now, I know that's a loaded question, and I'm sure Fred probably has some background or history that he wants to throw into this before we can get going. Is there any any kind of anecdotes that you want to drop in here, Fred? And a prior career as an age uh, validator. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, age statements is one of those is one of those things that that they were not always they were not always there. Like bottle and bond was you know was was always the was the big thing. But bottle and bond would kind of give you a de facto age statement, right? Because you would have the year it was distilled and year it was uh, bottled. So age statements, you know, have always been kind of a play for uh, showing quality until the distiller has to, you know, meet stock or meet demand, in which case then they're bottling to taste. And really, I would I would credit Maker's Mark with being the company that made it cool to have like a super premium approach without having an age statement. So, you know, age statements are not something there's, there's, you know, there's, there's history there and people would market like 20 summers old or something like that in the 1800s. But, you know, for, for the most part, you know, it's, it's always been about brands and flavor profiles. 
Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the, the things that we've seen in, in recent and especially modern bourbon is that if let's roll back before modern bourbon, when I say modern bourbon, we're talking, you know, late 90s, 2000s era. But prior to that, I mean, seeing something that was 10, 12, 15, 18 years on the shelf, it wasn't too common. I mean, that was something that was really looked at export markets and Japanese markets and stuff like that. And a lot of the stuff that we drink, especially when we're drinking Dusties, I mean, you have them and these are these are four to five year old bourbons and most of them did not adorn an age statement whatsoever. So let's go ahead and we'll, we'll kind of pivot this discussion a little bit and I'll kind of put it out to you all. From a consumer standpoint, let's think about the, the, the modern day bourbon drinker. What do you think is the attractiveness of seeing the age statement? And I think the first thing that I already saw on the chat was like, why don't all brands just put an age statement on everything they do? So kind of talk about, you know, from your perspective as a consumer, sort of like, you know, when do you want to see that age statement start coming on there and how important it is? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is a consumer perspective, but I, I go back and forth on this one, you know, I, Somebody said in the chat, and I always felt this way of, oh, I just want as much information as possible. But the reality is something could be really good at four years old and something could be really bad at 20 years old. And a lot of times you almost just have to taste it in a lower age statement, no matter what, is going to deter people from purchasing something, from trying something. If they see it, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's only five years old. Uh, I'll wait. And that could be a really great product. I can't. I can't say the brands, but I've had people who rant and rave about a bottle and it's non-age stated and I have an idea of how old it is. And then they'll talk bad about another bottle because it's too young. But the NAS bottle was actually even younger than the bottle they passed. And it's like, well, that number on the label convince you one way or the other. So now I think we see brands using that. You know, if, if it's a super old orphan barrel release or something they're putting that on there and you know not all the time is something that's 20 years old going to be great so you know it's it's got its pros and its cons my, my opinion on this has definitely changed over the years i was always i wanted to know the age statement but as you taste more and more you just realize like it just doesn't always correlate and that great stuff at younger ages and terrible stuff at younger ages you know and, and vice versa but at Sealbox, this is our 1,800-day-old bourbon that we're going to be releasing. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing days in, you know, linear moon cycles as well. That's our new age statements. So I like that. Moon phases. Yeah, I mean, you got to... The, the only reason there were age statements for the most part was because bourbon was in the shitter. And it was like the only way, you know, to market it, you know, to compete against scotch and whatnot, because scotch was having an age statement. And you really didn't see probably our fact checkers here. Well, but I, I don't remember seeing age statements till probably like the late mid to late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, that, that kind of resurrected bourbon. Cause you had all those awesome, you know, 12 year Elijah Craig's you had Evan Williams at seven years beam or the, the beam black label was an eight year, I think, um, mm -hmm. yeah, which was fantastic. But before then, you really didn't see age statements. And then bourbon caught popularity. Age statements dropped off. Some will say, you know, the the quality dropped off. I'm not so sure. I've had some amazing Elijah Craig barrel picks that were eight years old, nine years old, that, that are just as good as some 12-year-old 
barrels. But, you know, I, I was in the camp because I grew up on age stated bourbon that I, I was blinded by that. You know, it had to have at least be at a minimum of six. But, you know, when I was really getting into it, I really liked eight, 10, 12. But at the same time, I would buy Weller 107 and Elmer T, which didn't have an, an age statement, you know, and Blanton's doesn't have an age statement, which the Blanton's that everybody loves and chases a six-year-old product. E.H. Taylor is a six-year-old product. You know, all these unicorns, quote unquote, unicorns that people are chasing are on, on unage stated and they're, you know, six years or younger. And I think there's amazing products that are do have four-year-old age statements. And unfortunately, I think people won't try it if you put the four-year age statement on or somebody like Still Lawson, who's two years old, a product that there, if, if there was a big two on there and not a 10, people would be like, oh, that's young crap. I ain't, I ain't drinking that shit. And so it's, it's just a, a marketing thing. It's a consumer comfort thing. I mean, I mean, ideally, bourbon is probably, in my experience, is best between five years to 12 years after 12 to me, it gets kind of bitter, oaky and tannic. I mean, obviously there's exceptions when you age it on the lower floors, you have, you know, like these one-off releases that are good. But for the most part, I mean, I remember going into heaven Hill and they were like dumping out Elijah Craig 18 year into Evan Williams black because it wasn't good enough to be Elijah Craig 18 because it was so bitter, tannic. And, and so a lot of barrels that don't even see the life of day get put into four-year-old products because they're not good enough to to meet that quality expectations. And so this is a fascinating discussion that I could go on a soapbox, but I'll let somebody else comment on it. So we can, you know, you I know. remember, I remember the, when the age statement started dropping, it was beam, it was the beam black label that was the first one to go. And I, gosh, I want to say that was 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. And that was the first one to go. And then a bunch of others would follow. Weller would follow Knob Creek and then would come back. There'd be there'd, Elijah Craig. I mean, that just kind of like broke my heart when Elijah Craig, you know, dropped its age statement. But I remember talking to, you know, David Wondrich, who's, you know, an incredible cocktail historian. We were having this conversation at the time, very similar to this one. And he's and he made the comments, he's like, if age statements did not matter, then they would never put them on in the first place. And and we were we were talking about it in the context of the spin that distillers make when they when they were dropping an age statement. And that just kind of always resonated with me. So I think I think age statements definitely do matter and they matter they matter because they can help uh, help you understand whiskey at a certain age. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good or, or whatever, but from a production standpoint, you're kind of beholden to that age range. And I've had in- incredible conversations with distillers over the years who hate age statements because they have to always change their labels and they always, you know, kind of like you were saying, Ryan, like there's tons of eight-year-old Elijah Craig, that's 10 times better than the 12-year-old. I mean, 10 years ago, it would have been hard for me to admit that, but today I can fully say that. And so, like, you know, you, if you want to be a distiller and you you have, you're like, you want to put out this eight-year-old product, but you're beholden to that 10-year-old, 
man, there's some, you, you have some real, you, you have to make some compromises there. So I see, I see both sides, but for, for me, that sweet spot is between eight and 12 years old. That's my favorite age range for, for whiskey, you know, with, if you have a bourbon and it's at least eight years old, you should be proud of that and put an age statement on there. Even if it's like a back label handwritten or something, but eight years old is a, to me, that's kind of like, that's kind of like hitting 30 home runs and in a major league season. That's a big deal. I I really like what Ryan said about the, the brands that don't put it at all. So that tells me that age statements do mean something because I really don't think that Elijah Craig or, or sorry, E.H. Taylor or, or Elmer T. Lee at, you know, what used to be maybe eight or Blanton's at, you know, four to six right now. No one's going to buy that if it had a number on it. So I think it's, it's significant in both ways. And, and I agree with Fred too, you know, once you hit eight or nine, that's tends to be when you see it coming back on. I think that's when it hits as significant. And I don't think you see it between f- four and, and eight or nine, you know, other than the, the couple sevens that come out. And I, I think that's really telling. I mean, there, it's got to be market studies behind that, that you got to know Sazerac's been doing for why they don't put age statements on there or why when they continue or when they take it off of very old Barton, they leave the numeral six or they do the same thing with old charter. They left the numeral eight because those mean, especially with the old charter, that's going to mean something. And to the consumer, even if it doesn't say the words aged around it. it well, that's maybe deceptive, but well, it is what it is. Yeah, it, ha- it happened. Let's we'll see. There's a class action that'll maybe decide whether it's deceptive. I like to add too. I, you know, it, it's a numbers game too. I think a lot of people came into bourbon, you know, between now and the last, you know, eight, 10 years, kind of when the, the boom bubble started, you know, and that's when we saw a lot of age statements disappear. So there probably is a lot of people drinking bourbon now that when they started, a lot of the bottles they were drinking didn't have age statements. So I think naturally you start to see numbers and you always associate a higher number being just better. And then kind of some of that going back off of that is people just seeing scotch and that sort of thing and seeing the higher ages with scotch and just finding a correlation between the two and like, oh, you know, an older scotch is better. So I guess that, that, you know, that apply that same thing to bourbon, but also, you know, I think a lot of these people too, that have come into bourbon during the, again, to the last 10 years, let's say they probably had a lot of experiences with craft and a lot of the crafts were two years, four years old, and they potentially had bad experiences. So they just automatically associate youth being bad, even though, you know, smaller distillers now craft have come a long way. And, you know, I can name a number of great smaller distilleries at five years old that are, that I would totally recommend. So I, you know, it is, you know, we're all kind of saying a, a number isn't everything. Eric, you brought up a good thing about craft and Fred, I, for some reason, I think you, you had said this once before. So let's say you are a craft producer and you finally have a four-year-old product and you're so excited to release it to the world. Mm-hmm. Is it a death blow to put four years on it? Or is it something you should be proud of because you finally have something that's four years old that you could release, even though it could be amazing, but is that stigma there 
that it's like, I'm four years. I don't, I don't know about this. You might have some magic yeah. in those barrels, but you know what? I've, I see all the stuff that's eight, 12, 20, and I don't know any better, but I just know older means better. Well, first of all, good memory for remembering that that was in the context of bottled and bond and you know, the, to be bottled and bond, it must be at least four years old. And that is such an important designation for, for American whiskey, both in, from a historical perspective, but also like the modern movement of people understanding what bottle and bond means. And you actually can tap into a market of people who want to taste and, you know, explore it. So if, if you're a craft distiller and you can, if you can reach bottle and bond status, that's huge. And you should be proud of that. And four years old, you know, that's the time when the whiskey may not be as obviously may not be as good as six years old. Maybe it is. Maybe it is fantastic, but it's, it should not have the green notes anymore. It should not have any of those kind of like licking a fence post or moldy, you know, moldy kind of corn notes. It shouldn't have any of those notes that you would get, but you can often get between one and two years old. If they're decent whiskey makers, it just should be there. And, and if they're pot still, you know, you can get a lot of oily kind of notes in there that are, can really be quite beautiful. I, I love four-year-old product. There's a lot of craft whiskeys out there that make four-year-old product that I love. Uh, I always bring them up, but Spirits of French Lake is a good example. And I, I know that it's particular to my palate. I love that flavor profile. But, you know, I think someone should be proud of a four-year-old four-year-old bourbon when they come out. Jim Beam, not so much. Heaven Hill, not so much. But if you're a small distiller and you have a capacity of less than, what, 300 barrels a year, slap that four-year-old age statement on there. Be proud of it. Well, there, there's things you can do to make, as far as production-wise, to make it flavorful at four years. You can cut the entry proof you know, way down. I've found that a lot of lower entry proofs taste better at a younger age. I Finger Lakes being one of them, New Riff being one of them, Michter's, you know, I, I would assume that their flagships are four to six years old, you know, and two, there's, there's so many different variables, like the, the big six distilleries, they're basically making 125 proof commodity style grain bourbon, and they're relying on the barrel to create most of their flavor profile, whereas craft producers can do different grain quality or grain types different regions for our, you know, they can do different, uh, entry proofs. They can do different yeast strands, fermentation techniques. They can do, you know, column still pot still there's, there's all these different techniques that you can make it taste good at four years old, but the, the big six kind of in their production style method lean to a very clean corn based distillate, but where they rely on the barrel to influence the age or sorry, the flavor in Obviously, the more age you have in the barrel, the more flavor it's going to get. You know, what's interesting about that, Ryan, is that we we're we're kind of like if you look at the craft distiller movement, they're about they're about on first base in terms of where they can be uh, as an industry as a whole. In 10 years, I cannot wait to see what a 20 year old Finger Lakes bourbon tastes like because I tasted them. I tasted them in 2010 and I was blown away. I did a big story on them in in tasting panel and just to see their progression where they have gone over the years and how good their whiskey is. I mean, that's a great example, but just imagine in in you know when they when they're able to release a 20-year-old 
age-dated product, how awesome that's going to be. Which, let's take a bet. Who's going to be the first craft distiller to hit the 20-year mark? I mean, Finger Lakes is up there. They put out an 11-year bourbon, I think. But here's yeah. the thing. Does an age statement matter? And and here's we, we just talked about this. It sounds like, like it when does. You get, when you get to <laughs> 20 years, though, like, is, it, is well, the whiskey any good? Perspective, I think it absolutely matters, you know, but if we say from a pure profile standpoint, I don't think it does, but I guess that's a different topic. But no, I'd say 100%. It's always going to make it, it's going to move faster if there's a higher age statement on there. It We could write a review that says this tastes like dirt and charcoal and it's 30 years old and somebody's going to buy it. And le- you know, unless could, it's wild turkey, then it sits. Well, no, because they even got Brian on the diamond release. So I'm Yeah. <laughs> Which I by the way, I, I don't understand the whole wild turkey farm why those bottles sit. But the one thing I do want to say is Ryan mentioned the lower barrel entry proof. Historically, those are the bottles, those are the, or those are the brands that have lower barrel entry proofs that can where the age statement matters at an older you, you, like I want it like if these Bourbons are going to be released 20, 25 years old. I want to find out their barrel entry proof because it's a 25-year-old, 125-barrel entry proof. That thing's going to be rough. If it was a 103 to 110, that thing could be silky. It could be beautiful. So, And that's weeded bourbons have always gone in the, gone in the barrel at, at lower proof. So that's why those those tend to do well at older ranges. And let's not let, let's not forget the reason why we even talk about like older bourbons in the first place is because Pappy got a near perfect score in the late nineties and kind of changed the game entirely for, uh, for, for age dated whiskey. So, I mean, when it, we can, Kenny, to go back to your original question, th- does it matter? I think it absolutely does matter when you get up in those older tiers. It, it absolutely does matter. Under under six years old in terms of the general consumer, no, unless it's like a craft product. I, I don't think it does matter as much. For for me, you know, I just saw a watershed rye six years. I can't wait to taste that. A six year old rye, huge, huge for me. Like I, I get excited about six year old rye. Six year old bourbon, eh, maybe I'm excited, maybe I'm not, you know. See, what's yeah, interesting well, um, is like I, I get more excited about someone who has a really good product at a younger age than someone that's at like 10 years old. Like, I don't know, I, I like someone like Still Austin or Ben Holiday, you know, brands like that that are like freaking amazing at a younger age, you know, New Riff. I'm like, you know, what are they doing? To, like that, 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 that's exciting to me that you can you're doing something besides relying on the barrel to, to give it flavor. You're doing something interesting. And that, that that's more exciting to the category to me than just throw those barrels in there and let them sit forever. And I, I agree. And I think it's got to be the lower entry proof, right? I mean, that's got to be such a key component of why these are coming out differently. And it's yeah, Well, I know Grant over at Chattanooga Whiskey, he talks a lot about just, like getting some of those flavors into the into the whiskey through the grains. So that's why they're big on malted grains and all these different types of malts, whether it's it's corn or high 
you know, malted barley, all of those things where we typically get with a little more spice or a little more like vanilla and all that. And they're pulling that from the grain. So I think there's a lot to it. And yeah, I mean, obviously Wilderness Trail also, whenever they came out with their eight year, I thought it was fantastic. And I thought it drank like a 10 to 12 year easy where it just, it had a lot of great leathery notes and, and some of the like dry oak spice, which I expect. And, but even some people were like, ah, eight year, you know, I'd like to see a 10 year old as well. I'm like, okay, when, when does it stop though? You know? <laughs> like, that's, that's a very good point. When, when do we just say, okay, like this isn't good anymore. We should have stopped at eight years and it, it's hard to reverse that, which I think is also part of the problem. And, you know, tougher for smaller distillers, but the big guys, if a four roses barrel gets rejected at 23 years old, it's going into the yellow label and getting blended with, you know, 2000 other barrels and you'd never see it. But for smaller guys, it's, it's really tough to do that. Yeah. And you make a, a really good point only because it's like when, here's the hardest thing. I, I remember when new riff came on the scene, new riff, makes a, a big wave people latch on to it you know four four years old i mean when we were picking barrels it was like four years in a day right like it was like just there and they were pumping out barrels left and right and then you had the naysayers out there were like well i wonder when this will be good at eight or i, I want to try this at six or eight and i'm like it's perfectly great at four and so you're right blake like at what point do people just sit there and say like okay now it's eight be like well i really kind of want to see it at 12 i think there's just a, a stigma that's been built in the current modern bourbon drinker that automatically just thinks that a higher age equate equates to a better tasting whiskey or better value or, or something like that and and i there's just like somehow that 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 wall needs to be broken down, but I'm not too sure how to get there. Well, let's let's establish like the modern whiskey geek who's watching this or listening to this, who reads books on this. Everyone has become very good at critiquing spirits for for their own palate and in conversation on Reddit, on Facebook, on Twitter or X wherever at, at hanging out with friends it, it's a constant conversation and and it does not matter the level you're at you can always say you know what i'd like to see what it would be like in a couple more years in the barrel you know what i'd like to see i'd like to see it about 10 points proof higher you know another thing h there's h statements and then we have the whole cash strength phenomenon, which all the best whiskeys are coming out of cast drink now because the distillers are putting their best whiskey in cast drink bottles. And they're also trying to put, you know, squeeze in some of their crappy barrels into the cast drink bottles. But the thing is, is like everybody wants cast drink. Everybody wants, you know, 10, 12 years old. And when it does not meet those marks for the majority of us, then it's like, well, I'd like to see a little higher proof. I'd like to see what that'd be like. Oh, I'd like to see a little older. That's just the world we're in now. We're all critics. Well, I think there's there's something to it. Yes, we're all critics, but maybe the people that listen to this podcast and follow it, and people that follow all of our channels and buy from Sealbox, you know, these we've all been groomed to think a certain way versus the majority of buyers that are out there. 
and and let's try to kind of put it back on the rails a little bit. If if you are a whiskey geek, in the way that I kind of look at it, I would say five years and below, you put an age statement on there, kind of a death blow because most people look at it and they're like, well, you know, I see stuff that has the 10 and 12 and whatever. I, I'm not doing this. It's, it's a, it's a immediate turnoff. Now, I think it was, was it Rebel that came out and had six on theirs or maybe it still does or something like that? Six is kind of like the uh, Remus. Remus just came out with a six year age stated. Yeah. I kind of think six is like the tipping point, right? Like you could put an age statement on it. Seven for sure. Like why seven? Why the hell not? It's a lucky number. Seven you see kind of everywhere. And I think like the the number seven just has some sort of connotation. And I mean, hell, you see brands like like Lucky Seven. I'm pretty sure that brand is able to latch on to people thinking that the product is seven years old, even though it's not. So when you think about, there you go. Thank you, CH. Somebody validated me. Rebel does have a six on it now. And so one of the things that you do see is that you kind of see that tipping point. So I don't know, in your opinions, like when is that right time to start putting an age statement on a bottle that people will maybe pay more attention to it? I think we've all kind of come to an agreement that it does carry weight. How much weight is going to be equated to how many dollars are you going to spend now based on that age statement being on there? And I think it'd be interesting to see that if it was a seven-year-old bourbon, but non-age dated, would you pay the same exact amount of money if it was an age dated bourbon? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. We've all kind of come to an agreement that it does carry weight. How much weight is going to be equated to how many dollars you're going to spend now based on that age statement being on there? 
And I think it'd be interesting to see that if it was a seven-year-old bourbon, but non-age dated, would you pay the same exact amount of money if it was an age dated bourbon? I still think you got to wait till the eight, nine. I mean, there's a few seven ex- examples, obviously, and some sixes too. But but for your question, if it's if you've got two bottles next to each other, one's got a six and one doesn't have anything, the, the six could sell for $50 more, depending on if it has a fancy horse on it or something. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was going to say, horse, does it come in a horse have equation? Or, yeah. <laughs> Is there wooden boxes? Tubes, I mean, tubes, boxes, tubes, tops, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, but I mean that's it's a fair it's a fair question. But like one of the fastest growing brands, Penelope. I mean, this year they came out with a nine year. They've had a fifteen year light whiskey, but every other skew is a non age stated product on the market, and they're no one seems to care, you know, with that brand. And so that's a. But they they also weren't pricing things at you, you know I don't think they had a single bottle over a hundred bucks which you know kind of lends to be non age dated. I don't know about but, that. I mean I wouldn't to be able to say that if it's over a hundred bucks you have to put an age statement on. I saw somebody in the chat that said you have to do that. But uh, but even if you're under a hundred, I mean there's still plenty of bottles under a hundred that that do have that. Kentucky Owl sold tons non age dated. <laughs> At over a hundred bucks, even in Dixon's days, and now they're three hundred. But yeah, they're they they've got. I mean, I kind of I, I I would agree with the the more expensive, the more I want to know about the bottle. If if I had sixty bucks a bottle and I don't know every detail, fine, I may still give it a shot. But if I'm spending a hundred bucks, yeah, I I do kind of want to know the age statement. I would I would say that's it's not. You know, obviously, I've bought hundred dollar bottles that I did not know everything about, but I, I would start to l- lean more into that of like, hey, if I'm going to spend a hundred dollars and the bottle looks cool, I want to at least know how old the the whiskey is or where it came from. But you know that that could just be my opinion. I mean, there's another good question right here. I mean, let's take Bricks Dixon's new brand, Two XO. It's about a hundred bucks, not an age statement on the bottle, right? So I was going to throw in there too. What about the big brands? Kind of what Fred was saying a few minutes ago, like Maker's Mark and then Jack Daniels. We got major, major brands selling a stupid amount of you know whiskey over the years, you know, in every store with no age statement. And then now they're more recently expanding, trying to get a more premium market. What do they do? They both come out with age state. Well. Maker's Mark's a little different, but Maker's Mark, you know, finally did come out with that that older release. And then, you know, just today, Jack Daniels announces the new batches of Jack Daniels 10 and 12 year. You know, it's why we're we're paying attention to them all of a sudden more than we probably would ever be. Well, Jack Daniels definitely started to, that's quote unquote, their innovation is finally yeah. releasing age dated whiskeys. I'd hardly call it really innovation. The fact that they're just digging in and try basically just kind of figuring a way to spin marketing and find the whiskey geeks and the consumers out there that are chasing that particular kind of expression. But, well, I will say that the, their, their processes put so much before the barrel that, you know, they, they, they really, I, I do think that, you know, 10 year, you know, focusing on trying to get a 10 year product out of there is, is, 
is a little bit more work than it may sound because of the their charcoal mellowing process kind of makes that whiskey pop at six years old. And so I feel, I feel like in order for it to not get over oaked that, you know, they, they do have to be a little bit more precise and on top of those barrels. And it's hot as hell down there too. It's so hot. <laughs> so hot. So the other kind of question I'll throw at you. So you see some of the age statements that come out and kind of the, the psyche that goes into the people uh, that chase them. And I think the old fits decanters is a really good way to kind of look at this. You have 17 and 19 year releases and then you have eight and 10. And it seems like the eight and 10 people don't care about, even though it's really, it's really, really good. And is this just going back into the, the idea that like, Oh, I'm buying it because age equates to this equates to value equates to secondary release. I mean, is it really just going to be about the flavor in general? What are y'all's thoughts? I think humans just like higher numbers, no matter what it is. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, we it, see the Powerball go up and the Mega Millions. We're like, absolutely, keep climbing. Eight high age statements, high proof. You know, you like your salary to be higher. You like everything to be higher. But it's it is fascinating because there there is, you know, the. Distilling methods and aging methods of today are totally different from even 15 to 20 years ago. I mean, you got research from independent stave that is like unbelievable and they know exactly how to toast char and season barrels to get the X flavor out of at this age and that age. And, you know, it's there's so many variables, as I talked about before, that I and I get it. It humans like our brains are trained to like, like we don't want too much information. We want to be able to make decisions easy and an age statement and high proof is like an easy way for us to just be like, okay, well that means it's good and it's worth that. So it's like a, it's a simplification thing for our minds to be like, okay, I don't have to think about all your different chars or this or that, or your distilling methods, or I don't care about your grains and whatnot, but an age statement in a, they're, they're just, a way to simplify it for a consumer that, oh, nine times out of 10, if it's this age, I feel like it's going to be pretty good. I don't even know if that answered your question. It was just a thought ahead. Well, I feel like that's a good point, though, is like we, as most consumers, we just want one thing that tells us yes or no, this is good. And an age statement is that, and a price is that, where it's, hey, this is $100, this is a $200 bottle, it must be good. And, you know, we we correlate quality and price all the time we correlate age statement in quality all the time and so i do think it is it's, it's that one thing we can look to to say like well it's got to be pretty good it's 10 years old so that that probably plays a bigger role than we like to think at the end of the day that's why you see Steelbox coming out with all these nine and 10 year olds stuff oh, don't, forget like, like, <laughs> don't forget the 15 don't forget the 15 year olds coming i'll say i'll Eight, say 17 in june oh nice can't wait actually i've i've been i've been sit, sitting out as gifts but one thing i will say is like i was thinking about the number of 10 year old blind tastings or private events i've done with, with specifically 10 year old product out there. you know michter's 10 uh, russell's 10 henry mckenna i've done a lot of those in my career and the reason why is people do understand it 
And there's all kinds of back and forth. Well, what's your favorite 10-year-old bourbon? So I, I, I just, age statements matter because they do simplify it in, in a way. But I think it also just matters. The, the quality can be better at certain ages. And I, I, w- I would love to see age statements on everything. I would, I really would. I would like to see the mash bill on there. I would love to see, I like to see like an index card on the back of ev- instead of the damn stories, give me an index card of every single step of the process. And you know what? Some, some brands are doing that stuff now. It's awesome. But you know, to Ryan's point, it's the, it's a basic thing that we can all gravitate toward until someone like Michter says, well, it's actually not really 10 years old. It's uh, it's it's 15. You know, so they do that sometimes because they can put older stocks in a 10 year old age statement bottle. It just has to be the youngest in, in the batch. So it's just like psh, once you get to that level of uh, getting into whiskey geekdom, you're like, this is all just all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they do a good job of somehow that trickles out that information. I don't know where it comes from, but it shows in their product. I mean, I think a lot of us looked at Michter's tenure this past year and and we're just blown away by it. And even though it doesn't adorn a 15 year age statement, whatever, we all loved it. So maybe it does mean something. And so maybe it, but but I don't know. You could, you could have put non-age dated on it. I still still would have been fantastic. I'm drinking a, one of the best releases i've had in probably over the last five six years this magnus cigar blend no age statement 200 dollar bottle fantastic i would i would counter that cigar blend replaced its age statement by a you know like a two to one ratio in just because it says cigar blend so like that's uh, that trumps like if we're like That's having equivalent a, of an age statement, that, well, I would say it, it, it outranks it, especially you know with magnets behind <laughs> it. We, we should actually we should actually do a like I feel like we're doing like Pokemon cards. Yeah, we should do like, like <laughs> what would that's that should be a ranking. We Ambarana cigar badge age statements barrel proof like like what's more more important? Oh my god, this is this is such a this is a game. We got to create this game. I think you're right. I do love that. There is one more question before we sign off there. And and this is probably going to spark a little bit of a different conversation, but I really like it. So Brian from Abandoned Bourbon said, you know, well, we don't know how old Coy Hill was, the Coy Hill release of Jack Daniels, but we all know that everybody loved it. Like it was a fantastic whiskey. And maybe because everything that came out was hazmat. It was 140 plus that came out. Uh, maybe there was a 138 thrown in there. But either way, at what point do people care more about the proof rather than the age? Oh, I because... think Old Forest Barrel Proof has proven this. I, I think all the Old Forester Barrel Proof single barrels are way too hot. Old Forester is perfectly proofed Amen. at 100 proof, but the consumers, I bet it outsell. I bet Barrel Proof gets picked 8 to eight to 2, something like that on single barrel picks just because it's barrel proof four four to one if it's eight to two whatever (laughs) i'm just throwing i was teaching my kid this the other night (laughs) and and back when they did it to 94 some of the best single barrels i've ever had have been the old forester 94 proof single barrel selections i mean hands down they're fantastic and then you get a 133 proof one and it's just torching you but yeah i mean i think i I, I had a point 
Kenny, one more thing. I had a point kind of, it made me think of when you said the, the uh, old Fitzgerald with the Elijah Craig dropping the barrel proof age statement and then doing a 13 last time for the last batch of 2023. And then what is it for the A24? It's like 10 years something. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, no. ev- everybody, but everybody's talking about the 13 year and to, to Ryan's point, higher proof. Now we've got a younger, lower proof one. And I mean, people aren't paying attention to this one, at least, at least initially. So I think people are, are kind of gravitating to both the age statement and the high proof as indicators of, of how great it is. And I know, I know Eric and the breaking folks loved the last one. I'm looking forward to the review of 24. You got it right now. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, it's until Breaking Bourbon calls it their bourbon of the year, nobody's going to pay attention to it. Well, fair enough. I should, I was just yeah, thinking over the one. The, carries, oops, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. No, it's all right. Real quick. The, the ones I was thinking, like the, 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 whis- the bourbons, whiskeys, the rise, we've given our highest ratings to. I, I don't. I could be wrong. One of them might not, but I think all of them aren't even barrel proofs. Is there a reason behind that? I mean, is it, is no, it an age statement or is there something else behind yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, it's I'm trying to think, I think all of them probably have age statements, but they're not barrel proof. All right, Blake, you want to chime in there? Right, Blake. Yeah. I was just going to say, you, you know, I think the hazmat side of things has, really taken a life of its own as well and on top of you know double digit age statements if something is hazmat and or just crazy high proof people are going to go for it i mean we have people who at 120 proof they'll be like man i wish it was a little bit higher like really like you you know was your mouth not on fire before which then we have I'll, I'll say that and kind of make fun of higher proof, but then we have a bourbon we're releasing tomorrow. That's it's 148 proof and it is incredible. And, but I've also tasted some where it's older, higher proof and is like rubbing alcohol. Like you get nothing but burn, but I think it it's, it's right up there with age statement as for what people look for these days. All right. One last question to throw at you. Only because I just thought of this, and it only brings me back to the time when we had Danny Kahn at my house when we were recording over there, and he brought some insane 12-year-old Barton picks that were anything from 140 to 162 proof. And for me, drinking 160 proof bourbon, it's a novelty. So at what point is this novelty to say like, oh, I've got like this really high proof bourbon. I've got this really high age statement bourbon where it's just novelty, but it's not really about the taste or the flavor. You got to have that bottle. I've got a bottle of Charbet. Yeah, I've got a 147 or 8 proof Charbet. That's my, you know, trick pony that I bring out for somebody who's tasting something and they get all that hoppy marijuana flavor and you know, it's just a, it's just a funny little trick. I think, you know, I, I think the key is to it is, can it hold up if you add water to it? And, and, you know, we're all, we're all different. I like, I like cat. I feel like you can really taste a, a bourbon at its, 
essence, its core, when it's straight out of the barrel. I just think that's the best way to, to take a lot of them are awful. You know, I think that's such a great way. And, and the truly the perfect proof for me is 107 proof. And sometimes Wrong. The, it's 108. Well, <laughs> I'm just messing. Keep going. I know, but that's funny. That's funny. But it's, 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 it's such, it's such a company or brand dependent or distillery dependent style. Like I, I maker's mark cash strength is like great. It's, be, it's so much better than the regular stuff because maker's mark is so good out of the barrel. But why did it perform so poorly in your blind tasting? That is a good question. (laughs) But that would be the Celerades one. But it and they but they have they have won a couple when I've done some blind. Oh yeah. I'm sorry, you said the cash strength. Yeah, you're right. Maker's cash strength is amazing. The cash strength. The Celerage the Celerage finishing, I think it was like eighty fourth or eighty seventh. That was mind boggling. I couldn't believe it. And the other thing is like the top fifteen, you know, there were four stags in there. So like that was that was the night for that style of whiskey. Anyway, anyway, my whole point is, is cash drink, certain, certain levels of cash drink are great. Like it, the, the companies like Wilderness Trail, Maker's Mark, you know, Michter's, the ones that are going in lower barrel, barrel entry proofs, cash drink all day long. But those are coming out at 110. The ones that go up to 120 to 140, even 150. I mean, that's a barrel by barrel situation yeah true true best cash drink i think if you had your if you had people over your house and you say oh what do you want to drink tonight you want to drink you know all hazmat you know proof bourbons tonight or do you want to drink all 20 year old bourbons tonight i mean what do you think people are going to choose first of all no one's coming to my house anymore because my children (laughs) have ransacked the place and i can't have visitors over because one child will come out of the shower and be like trying to I don't even want to talk about it, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's, uh, I can't have company anymore, Eric. And it, it depresses me. It, it really genuinely depresses me. But, uh, because of that, I just, I would just drink hazmat and be like, listen, you're here with me. Let's get through this night together. And well, no, I'm kidding. I, I would, I actually, I would, if I had like friends over, if I had Ryan over, I'd break out some dusty stuff. I, I would go, I would go to an old dusty. And, and taste some history with my friends. I'll be over. To answer your question, I would probably go with age statements. Yeah. I, if I had friends That's... over, they would all choose the age statement. Yeah, me too. Same. I guess another way to put that is I don't have friends. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're talking to five of your best internet friends right now. If you want to invite us to the Super Bowl, you know, we could be friends. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'd be well, good friends at the Super Bowl. Or England of Carrot. Fred will drink all those four-year dusties, low-proof dusties. Four years in oh, low-proof. That gorgeous. Not the modern consumer, but it goes back to Bernie Lebers when he, his, I think his famous line is, is his, his dad said, don't trust a bourbon that's over four years old. <laughs> when that's line kidding. I don't know. We have to go back to the archives and, and really search on that one, but you know, we'll uh, we'll have, let him fact check that one. But we are running to the top of this hour right now. And this was a really good conversation. I think it also sparked an idea for maybe protect, potentially the next roundtable, looking at words and ranking them and figuring out what it would be like in our our pyramid or our ladder about what what do we think is most important. Yeah, when it comes to like the Trump, like consumer. like a like you were saying, like the Pokemon, like like Trump cards. I, I love it. Like Can what we, would be. Yeah. 
Can we do how to read labels? <laughs> that would be good. Ooh. We'd be kind of why did you need a refresher or what? No, I just want to educate people when <laughs> produ- <laughs> when produced by is, and uh, no state of distillation. What that means? It just does it have a horse and then you buy it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot of things that we can simplify this and and Brian, we can talk about how to read labels all you want, but here's the thing: it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's a few things that you can do in marketing that only care to the whiskey consumer, and so it doesn't. As much as we want to make sure we educate people, there is going to be a larger part of the population that are going to just sink into that marketing hole and they're just going to sink their claws in. And that's just that is what it is. So, Brian, we should both advocate for this reading a label thing that uh, Ryan brought up, because then we can start talking about the 1935 Federal Alcohol Administration Act. And all the lobbying and things that went on. And you could talk about some of the lawsuits and we can just kind of go back and forth with some of the treasury reports that we've read. And Man, and look that... at the people in the chat just leaving. But yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> people don't realize like how fun that is for us. It, it like, is. I mean, I that's fun. Deep. Oh, I'm they're back. Good. They're like back to age statements and high proofs. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, just, here. oh, just like even going back to when they were describing barrel entry proof, you know? That just like they didn't call it barrel entry proof, so and the, and what they would they didn't call they didn't call white dog white dog it was called singling and just like all that stuff in the in the nomenclature of the federal government that's so good thanks for bringing that up Ryan we're gonna have a good old time Brian it'll be good <laughs> so there is one more question and we got to give it out to Doctor Patrick Heiss who's been in the chat the entire time here. Would you rather drink a six-year-old that was bottled in 1955 or a 20-year-old bottled in 2022? 1955, all yes. day. All day, every day. Every day. Dusty. I'll take the Dusty. dusty. 1955. Not even close, 1955. It's a great question, I love Dr. Pat. <laughs> yeah, I know. That, I now want to go the other direction animals. since everybody said no. <laughs> Yeah, I, that was that was a pretty unanimous one. But again, you're talking to a bunch of bourbon geeks. Here's the thing. I'll try both of them if, if I have the chance. That janitor at Wilner's Trail is pretty smart. <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> I don't know if he's jan. I think he's the lawn guy. Was, he saying guy. That was, an in- was that an invite for us to come over or was that just a hypothetical question he was throwing we're, out there? We're right? coming <laughs> over, Dr. Pat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, let's go ahead. Let's wrap it up. Fellas, this is another good show. I'm glad. I kind of like these ones where we take one topic and just like really dive into it. I think this has been really fun because we get to we get to really kind of look at all the the different angles of it and really kind of dissect it as, as much as possible. And of course, Dr. Pat says open invite. So we'll see you there tomorrow night. But let's go ahead and we'll start closing it out. So make sure that if you are listening, you share this with a friend, you subscribe on our YouTube channel. You subscribe on any kind of podcasting app, share it with anybody, uh, leave a review and also make sure you go to our, if you're in Vegas and you know, you got a lot of money to burn, go check out our friend Fred over here. He's got, he's got a pretty good party going. He's got a bunch of age stated bourbons. Yeah, I do actually. (laughs) See, (laughs) perfect. At big game bourbon. At big game bourbon. All right. And then let's go ahead and let's round it out. So Blake, go ahead. Yeah, Blake from Sealbox, always fun to be here. And, you know, just when I thought I was going to have a nice, good round table at my office, the sound goes down. So I think I'm going to head back to Disney for the next round of uh, BCR. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So thanks again for having me. 
Love it. And Brian. All right, Brian with Sipping Corn Bourbon Justice. And since we have the open invite, I formally say let's let's take Dr. Pat up on it. Next BCR is at Dr. Pat's house. We each bring a bottle of either an a, a vintage or an age-stated bourbon, and we taste them blind and see who wins. Let's do it. Ryan's bringing his old Forester barrel-proof picks to see if he can fool anybody. <laughs> All right, Eric, go ahead. All right, I'm Eric from Breaking Bourbon, and during this episode tonight, I was drinking, where are we here, a Barterhouse 20-year 90-proof uh, whiskey just for the for the fun of it all, so... If we all remember that whole thing, but it kind of goes along with the topic. I was about to say, I was like, I, that was one of the first barrel or bottles that I ever chased down. Like we were talking like 2014 timeframe, something like that. 2015 when that King came out. 2014, I think. Yeah. At least the first original release. So yeah, I, I, I totally remember that one, but good call on that one. It's one of those age dated ones that was like, all right, sounds good. On to the next one. A big old weird story that, you know, you believe if you wanted to, but yeah. Totally, totally. All right, so make sure you follow all these guys on all their channels, but also make sure you, again, follow Bourbon Pursuit, follow Fred Minnick. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>